Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, August 13th, and we're talking about when bad things happen to good stocks. We'll be talking about earnings from Squarespace, the Trade Desk, and Wix. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's ill-advised illuminator of irrelevant information, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how's it going? Dylan, it's going great. Earnings season is coming to a close, but we do have several companies to talk about, thankfully. We do. And you know what, Brian? Before we get into that, I'm just I'm going to push back on irrelevant information. I think that you are a high signal person, uh, both in real life and on social media. I, I, I feel like you're not throwing a lot of uh, junk at people. Well, I appreciate that, but it's still fun to have <laughs> weird titles. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be self-deprecating a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, Brian, we, we're in the heat of earnings season and we have no shortage of companies we can talk about. In, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, one business that we recently did an S1 on, uh, Squarespace. Uh, you were out, and so Anand Chakvalu stepped in, and we, we did that show together. Uh, and then two full favorites, the Trade Desk and Wix, companies that are in, in a ton of full premium services. Before we get too into the results, um, I do want to talk a little bit about what we're looking for when we are looking at earnings, and, and really the point of this, because I've seen so many odd movements with companies, uh, particularly ones that have done very well. Um, in this earnings season and in some of the recent earnings seasons due to COVID. So let's just frame this conversation a little bit before we get too far into the numbers in the companies. When it comes to earnings season, the thing that I'm always trying to ask for myself is, is the most recent information that I have about this company confirm the reasons that I bought it or watched it in the first place? Or is there some new information that came along that is busting the thesis? That's what I'm really trying to assess. To your point, this earnings season has been particularly strange because we've seen so many easy or difficult year-over-year comparisons. And just by the very nature of what's happening in the world with COVID and reopening, we saw in 2020 a whole bunch of tech companies had their growth rate really pulled forward and accelerated. In response, a whole bunch of their stocks went straight up. In 2020, we're kind of seeing the other side of that equation, where that growth that got pulled forward is making the comparisons tough, and some management teams are coming out and saying, our growth rate might be slowing a little bit. In that case, we've seen some stocks report great looking backwards earnings, but their stock prices declined. That is something that can confuse a lot of people. Yeah, I, I kind of am similar to you in how I would approach the, the quarterly updates that we get. And we know, you know, there are really like four things ish a year that should actually move the, the share price of a company, right? And it's the four quarterly earnings results that we get. Uh, those are the indications of what's happening with the business. Unless we get a news item that really gives us a sense of like what's going on um, in an in-depth way, in a material way. Those are the things that are going to be driving uh, the results for the business long-term and the share price as well. Um, for me, it's, you know, does this confirm what I originally thought about this business? Does it make me question it or does it make me doubt it? And the first one's great. The second one, you know, I, I want to dig deeper. And the third one, you know, if I own it, it, it puts me in a position where it's like, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate this position and make sure that my thesis is what I think it should be um, and that it's intact. And so I, I think with that, it it's a little... It's, it can be a little overwhelming, especially as a new investor, to go in an earnings season and just be like, how do, how do I even make sense of this? Especially when you're seeing double-digit moves. Um, 
I think that's that's a helpful way to go into this conversation, though, Brian. And why, why don't we talk a little bit about this first company, uh, Squarespace? Um, this is a a digital native company, and and one that I think a lot of folks that have built websites or or spent a serious amount of time online uh, are probably pretty familiar with. Or if you are a podcast listener of any type, you've probably <laughs> right. heard an ad uh, from this company. I've been hearing about this company for years prior to coming public, simply because I listen to so many uh, podcasts. But uh, Squarespace, ticker symbol SQSP, just came public a few months ago. They provide a platform that makes it easy for businesses or independent creators to come online. You can go there, you can set up a website, register a domain name. They have tools to help with uh, e-commerce, help you manage your social media, uh, etc. Squarespace has been growing at a pretty robust way, riding the general trend of businesses coming online. And in their most recent earnings report, they reported some pretty favorable results. Revenue grew 31% to $196 million. That was $7 million ahead of what Wall Street uh, was expecting. Uh, on a gap basis, on a generally accepted accounting principles basis, they reported a net loss of $234 million. Wow, is that a big number. I mean, that is a huge net loss, and it sounds scary. However, a whole bunch of that, $250 million of that, was related to stock-based compensation um, because the company came public. That was an event that caused a huge deluge of stock-based compensation to be accounted for. They also took on a $25 million expense as as a result of their direct listing. If you factor out those one-time, non-recurring, non-cash costs, Adjusted earnings were actually 41 cents per share, and that was much higher than Wall Street was expecting. The company also produced $10 million in free cash flow. So the headline ends for the company were confusing, but good. Yeah, I I think the easiest period for a company to put up losses in excess of their revenue is like the first two quarters that they're publicly traded. Like that's where you get the leash to do something like that. Um, and a lot of companies have. It's it, it's it's a common thing. So don't be too spooked by it. But without the context of knowing that this company hasn't been public for very long, uh, it would raise some eyebrows. And this is why when we're looking at S1 statements, we often highlight what stock-based compensation was historically, but we say, we have no idea what this company's (laughs) stock-based compensation policy is going to be once it comes public. And we still don't have any idea what Squarespace's long-term dilution rate or anything like that is going to be. So just take those numbers with a grain of salt. But if you dig into the the numbers of the company a little bit more, their annual revenue run rate was up 28% to now $778 million. The number of unique subscribers was up 15% 15 to 3.9 million. Revenue per subscriber was up 6% to $193. And their balance sheet improved. Uh, It now has $160 million in cash versus $533 million in debt. So despite reporting better than expected results on an adjusted basis in revenue, this stock still dropped 12%. If you get into the why, that's a little bit hard to, to, to figure out. I'm guessing it has to do with the company's full year revenue guidance. They said that they're going to do somewhere between uh, $772 and $780 million in revenue for the year. That's a 25% growth rate. Wall Street was expecting a number that was within that range, but perhaps secretly they were expecting more. But no matter what way, why, the reason why the stock sell, um, the first quarter result for this company was pretty good. Yeah, and, and there does seem to be like this very um, like stubborn psychology to if growth rates start with a three and then they dip to starting with a two, there is this just 
overwhelming panic that that a lot of analysts seem to go through uh, in, in covering businesses. And, you know, like growing at a 26% clip for three years in a row annualized, that, that that's a double. Uh, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with growing in the 20s as long as you can sustain it. Um, and this is this is one of the things that we we kind of have to work through with newly public companies, Brian, is kind of understanding, okay, we're, we're seeing what looks like pretty impressive growth. What, what is the, the long-term trajectory of that number actually look like? And given what you just said, it makes sense why we've seen so many weird reactions to earnings reports, especially this, this earnings report, because a lot of tech companies are having fantastic Q2 results, but then they're saying business changed remarkably in May and June when the world started to reopen up, and that's causing a slowdown. So those growth rates are going from 50, 60, 70% down to 20, 30%. So to your point, that can often cause uh, stocks to take short-term hits. Yeah, and and that growth story is precisely what's going on uh, with the trade desk. Uh, this, this is a company a lot of fools know. Uh, for for folks that are maybe not as familiar, it is the world's largest demand side platform for ads. Uh, it allows uh, trade desks, ad agencies, advertisers to bid on ad inventories and then manage those ads on a single platform. Um, and we're, I'll give you the top line numbers, and then I'm going to rewind the clock a little bit and take us back to 2020. Uh, quarterly revenue grew 101% year over year to $280 million, which is a staggering number for top line growth for a business. That's about, it's about a $40 billion business, the trade desk, which is huge. You usually don't see that type of top line growth from a business that size. And net income came in at just under $50 million. Um, the company is now at $1 billion in trailing 12-month revenue for the first time, which is impressive. It's kind of a nice milestone for them. Um, but these results warrant a trip back in time to Q2 2020. Um, and, and Brian, I don't know if you took much note of this as a consumer, but I remember in April uh, and May of 2020, the kind of earlier days of the pandemic, I would be watching streaming TV, the, the kind of TV that would normally have ads inserted, like Hulu, and be like, huh, I watched one segment and then should have been presented an ad and then got put right back into the next segment of the show. There was no ad inventory being bought. Um, and and obviously, that is to the detriment of a business like the Trade Desk. Um, kind of regardless of who the provider is, I think it was just anecdotally, it's... Um, something that's instructive in kind of understanding where ad budgets are going. Ad budgets clammed up in Q2 of 2020. Um, and it was actually, to my knowledge, the only time that the company has had a sequential revenue decline outside of the normal holiday cadence that they're on. So they were coming up on what was pretty easy comps with this Q2 2020 period. And they absolutely crushed it. Triple digit growth for a business this size, Brian, is super, super impressive. Unfortunately, we can't get too used to that growth rate. That's exactly the thing we were just talking about, where the year-over-year comparisons, looking backward, look fantastic. 101% revenue growth to $280 million. Net income of $48 million. That's a really healthy uh, net margin right there. And the company has over $1 billion in trailing 12-month revenue for the first time. Those numbers are eye-poppingly good. But Wall Street is also often like, great, what you just did sounds awesome. What are you going to do next? Because that's what we really care about. <laughs> yeah, and, and for their purposes, you know, they, they acknowledge in the guidance, you know, like we had, we had the benefit of pretty tremendous comps uh, to be working off of. And, and, you know, we put up some great numbers looking back. Uh, going forward, we are going to be impacted by a lot of stuff that's outside of our control. Um, namely, you know, changing economic conditions, whatever may happen in terms of shelter in place, 
uh, and really what, whatever happens with COVID-19 uh, in terms of setbacks, but also in terms of resumption of normal activity. Like all of those things weigh on the amount of time that people are watching TV and the number of ads that can be served up to people. And so, you know, for their part, they were guiding for revenue of around, or at least, sorry, $282 million, uh, for this next quarter and adjusted EBITDA of approximately $100 million. And, you know, they say at least there, at that low end, that's 30% year-over-year growth, which, Brian, in, in my view, is is really nothing to sneeze at, uh, especially because, you know, you go back over the last uh, couple fiscal years, you know, they've posted 39% growth, 26% growth, 37% growth. This is, a, this is a company that has found dips and then re-accelerations within their revenue. And that is a very, very strong rate, especially given the company's comps that this that this has. So when you look at the when you, when I look at the trade desk's uh, results, and I've been an investor in this company for for a couple of years now, the thing that I actually pay the most attention to is the company's customer retention, and is it keeping those customers that that it has? And every one thing I love about the trade desk is they report right in their press release, our customer retention rate was, and it has been ninety five percent or above for more than seven years now. If they fail to point that out in a future press release, that's when my ears will perk up and say, "Uh uh-oh, that could be a sign. But on that front, the company is clearly doing a good job of finding new customers, retaining those it's have, and convincing them to continue to spend more. That is a magic combination. It is. I mean, I actually that might be the most important number in their earnings result, <laughs> yeah, honestly, because uh, that is that is such a signal of strength. There are so few businesses that are capable of posting a number like that, um, and it just means they don't have to spend nearly as much money on on marketing and replacing old customers uh, that have left the platform. So I think, yeah, it's it's great to check in on that. So, some other stuff that I think is important with this business. I'm a shareholder as well, and so it's, you know it's a company that I'm pretty familiar with. Um, Connected TV is a huge part of the story for this business going forward. Um, and and what we know about this uh, is limited because we only got so much of a breakout from their earnings result. But the connected TV seg- segment significantly outpaced the company's revenue growth of over 101%. Uh, the company did not provide any exact numbers. Uh, and CEO Jeff Green noted that CTV revenue rose more than tenfold in Europe and also said the CTV business would continue to drive growth over the next couple of years and beyond. So I think that's the tailwind to really be excited about with this business. I'd love some more detail on exactly what's going on there. Uh, but given the results have been pretty strong, I'm willing to give a little bit of leeway there, Brian. <laughs> I think that they've deserved that they deserve it, given the results that they've put up and how forward thinking this company has been. So yes, like you, I'm willing to take their word for it. Yeah, and I continue to be a very happy shareholder of this business. They have posted positive net income for 20 plus quarters, despite the growth rates that we just talked about. And usually there's the trade off there. If you're growing in the 30s, uh, sometimes 40s, uh, you know, you're not going to be prioritizing profitability. I think Trade Desk, probably not a business that's prioritizing profitability, just in a position where they're able to enjoy it. Um, and, you know, you, you look at the, the, the balance sheet for this business, uh, like zero long term debt, great cash position. They're an incredible financial position and they have a lot of flexibility. I think they can kind of go out and do what they want to do, invest in their own business as they see fit. Love that. Um, and I don't see this company going away. Financially, this company is incredibly strong. And that's one of the things that impressed me the most when I first learned, learned about this business is they are purposely have been profitable uh, for years. Now, 
to, to your point, they, they are probably still investing in for growth, so the earnings might be even depressed slightly from where they could be if this company said we are full of, fully optimized for profitability. Uh, however, I, I do think I am impressed with the, the, the profits that they're currently picking up. That means that this is a high growth stock that you can actually look at the PE ratio for. And while I don't think it's a perfect variable to judge this company's valuation, it is one that is at least useful. Yeah, it's at least available. There is a denominator, uh, which which is kind of nice. But yeah, I mean, I I don't own this company with the expectation that is going to be printing a ton of money on the bottom line. That it it's just and frankly, it's not really where I want them to be. You know, like they're in kind of a greenfield moment, and I want them to capture as much of that as possible. Um, despite being what is already a relatively big business at about a forty billion dollar market cap, um, I think there's still plenty of growth ahead of them. Um, and you know, if if you can seize. Uh, that opportunity, get as many customers online as possible. That should be the priority right now. I agree with you there. When I look through the report, uh, the slowdown doesn't bother me at all, the quote-unquote slowdown. Uh, <laughs> I think it's completely reasonable. And like you, when I read everything, I say, thesis on track. Yep. Um, the uh, the trade desk did not suffer a huge sell-off, but they, a little bit of a disappointment there. Um, the final company we're going to be talking about today, Wix, another full favorite, had a pretty sizable drop after it reported earnings, Brian. Yeah, Wix, ticker symbol W-I-X, uh, they reported on August 11th, and after reporting earnings, this company dropped 15%. And yet again, if you look at the trailing numbers, it's hard not to smile. 34% revenue growth to $316 million. That exceeded expectations. Net loss was $0.28 cents per share. That doesn't sound great, but it was $0.13 cents per share better than expected. And if you dig into their results a, a little bit more, they've been investing heavily into their business solutions business um, uh, much more aggressively. And that, that business, which is lower margin, grew 75%. That shows me that they are clearly having success there. Another big news is that they announced a new partnership with uh, Vistaprint that they think can bring new tools and products to their existing users. So again, if you look at the headline numbers, lots to like. Yeah, and and on that Vistaprint note, I mean, I don't know that that specific partnership is like the game changer for this business. But knowing the business that they operate in, the space they operate in, those are exactly the kinds of things that you'd like to see them doing, right? Like exploring options, like looking for ways to better build out their platform for the people that use it to build their sites, and just kind of understanding what functionality, what types of tools, um, what branding opportunities, all of that kind of stuff, people who are using you for websites want to use, because that's where you're going to find additional spend with your customers and create even stickier experiences. They have a long history, if you've ever started this company, of launching new products, new services that really make it easier to get started with their product and to run run your business. They've also, in recent years, been swimming upstream and have a product that essentially competes with Shopify to bring new e-commerce tools to businesses. So if you look at this company's operations, it's been doing essentially everything right. I think one reason that the stock sold off on the earnings is because of what management said was about to happen. So for the upcoming quarter, they believe that their revenue is going to grow somewhere between 22 and 25%. As a reminder, they just grew 34%, so that's a bit of a, of a slowdown. More importantly, for the full year, they were previously uh, predicting that they were going to do about 1.28 to 1.29 billion in revenue for the year. They lowered that number to 1.25 to 1.27. So that's a reduction of only a few percent. But when you reduce long-term guidance, Wall Street tends to freak out and not like it. And that's exactly what we saw. 
yeah, um, it's a story as old as time, Brian. <laughs> you know, so long as there have been analysts, there have been analysts that have been spooked by by guidance adjustments. That's right. But I think, and I think, I think this was just a conservative move by management. If you dig into the comments, uh, they said that. COVID is causing some disruption to their business. It was a big tailwind uh, last year. They don't know what's going to happen if, if, if the virus is going to resurge. I think this is more a conservative move than anything else. But this reminds me very much of the same report we just saw at the trade desk. If you were to just give me the numbers and look, and look through this report, I would say, wow, is there a lot to like here. So you can't ever predict what's going to happen to a stock the day after it reports. You can try, but you're going to be wrong a whole lot. The thesis, my big takeaway with a company like Wix is, yet again, thesis on track. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I think um, maybe doesn't get talked enough about with guidance is it, it can be such a driver of how the market reacts to an earnings report. Um, but if you don't know a management team particularly well, um, you lose the context of how they generally approach guidance. And so, you know, there are some businesses that are that are relatively conservative with the numbers they throw out there and would much rather be in a position where they surprise to the upside, you know, under promise and over deliver. Um, there are conversely management teams that throw some really big and gaudy numbers out there and sometimes they live up to them and sometimes they don't. Um, and so that's where I think, you know, understanding the culture of a business, understanding um, how the management team likes to operate and also just tracking companies over time as they report earnings and understanding, okay, like this is what they threw out there a year ago. They're delivering on that um, is really helpful as an investor. Some investors, uh, some foolish investors, completely ignore what happens to earnings and say, did they beat? Did they miss? I don't, I don't care. I care about the business. I actually am a fan of looking at how the company did when compared to to Wall Street's guidance because I like I like it when a management team has established a history of beating the numbers over a consistent basis. So that actually factors into my decision making. Uh, the reason is controlling the expectations of the market is in is a skill that some management teams have and others do not. And in general, I think that Wall Street rewards companies that consistently beat the beat their earnings estimates more so than those that that consistently miss them. So it's a part of my process, but I also understand why other investors just choose to ignore it completely. Yeah, and and you know, over a 5 or 10 year period, some of that stuff starts to wash away a little bit, right? The the results speak for themselves. But as an investor, uh, you probably wind up with a little bit less heartburn by understanding that and working that into your criteria, right? Because you know, if if you're being surprised uh, by you know 15% moves or 20% moves on the stock you own because of the way that management uh, chooses to run guidance and, and their relationship with Wall Street, uh, it's it's just going to add a little bit more angst for for you as you check your portfolio every single quarter within those five or ten years. That's fair. But to me, <laughs> the bigger thing is when you're looking at earnings reports. It can be. This could be really hard to do, but this is just general good advice for every investor out there. Do your best to ignore what is happening with the stock on any given day, week, month, or even quarter, and just focus on the business numbers. If you had no clue, pretend you had no clue what was happening to the share price. If you were reading through the earnings report, would you come away impressed or upset? <laughs> then, then look at the share price and, and, and see what's happening. But do your best to focus your attention on the business, not the stock. If the business executes, if the business performs well, the stock will eventually follow. And the inverse is also true. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that, Brian. I mean, I think when you're just starting out as an investor and you're kind of trying to figure out like, okay, how do I interpret this stuff? I think it can be super helpful to like go to the company IR page 
you know, get the earnings results, get the press release, go through it, and do all of that before you go to Twitter and before you even check the stock price movements. And the reason I say that is I, I think it's good to approach that without the bias of what other people are saying about something and just see what you pay attention to. And then take that second step and look and say, oh, okay, like I like these analysts. I'm going to see what they're saying about you know the, these earnings results um, and learn what other people are looking for. It, it can be a helpful way to like be able to form your own opinions, but then also you know source from the wisdom of the crowd and see what other people are noticing in the results. I love that advice, Dylan. Great job. Uh, Brian, I, I mean, three stocks. I, I think all of these, despite you know, kind of tepid market reactions or um, not so great <laughs> market reactions, pretty strong results all in all. Oh yeah, definitely. And and again, I'm focused on really what's going to happen in the next. The next quarter result should be very interesting because that one will be when the full effect of reopening of the world is is in charge. So are these management teams being overly conservative with their near-term guidance or is the business actually deteriorating at an even more rapid rate than we think? I don't know, but of course we're going to pay attention. But when I look at all three of these businesses, if you were an investor and, and believer in any of them, I don't know how you come away and say and not believe thesis is on track. I think that's 100% right. Um, and Brian, I'm excited for those future Brian's and future Dylan's to talk about those future results. <laughs> it's always nice to be able to answer our future questions, but but present me is very happy to get to talk to you every Friday. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. I look forward to chatting with future Dylan. <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. And if present you or future you is looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today. And thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Fool on.